Let us pray. Holy One, open our eyes and our hearts and our imaginations, inspired by appreciation and witness of those who respond to your call. May we each respond to our call to be your partners with people of imagination and goodwill and building up the human family reconciled in love. Amen. So, I uh, took an antigen test on Sunday morning, because that's what we do out there in Litchfield Park, and I think the likelihood of me infecting you is low, and I'm told I can preach this way. It's going to be easier for older ears to hear me. I can never get these off without pulling off my older ears' help, called the hearing aid. Um, so I am honored and humbled to be asked to address the feast of Absalom Jones in the Episcopal Church. And I uh, come to this with several things. Uh, Before I went to seminary, I taught uh, American history in public schools in Virginia, which was the state that invented the concept of race-based slavery. And going on right now at St. Peter's, there's one group of people reading Eric Foner's uh, wonderful History of the United States, a chapter a week, and saying, why does this matter to us as people of faith? And as another group that started itself that said, we're going to read the 1619 book and talk about it. Now, I'll admit that I was probably a little too chicken to have proposed there be such a group because I've got a lot of really conservative members and because the uh, alternative media, let's call it, to be polite, uh, has uh, done a lot to make people afraid of that book. And uh, without, you know, them having read it. So, um, so what you may hear from me today may be more of a history lesson than a sermon. And uh, Mauricio uh, Wilson is going to preach a great uh, sermon on the recording the Union of Black Episcopalians is making for Absalom Jones. It'll be available on Saturday. So let me just tell you what I am struck by about the life of Absalom Jones. And... Uh, And what does it matter for us today? Uh, The first thing is, when humans deny people's giftedness, we miss God's opportunities. And any in-group can do that in any congregation on any absurd basis. And, of course, the most significant absurd basis in American history was the existence of race-based slavery. So that's, that's the first thing. Uh, as I tell you about Absalom Jones, I don't want you to think he was a heroic and amazing person. He was, but that's not enough. It's really what I get from his life story is what did we miss with God by uh, waiting until he was old before he could be ordained? He was called the Black Bishop of Philadelphia. What if Bishop White had ordained him as a missionary bishop to all people of color in North America. So denying people's giftedness causes each of us to miss God's opportunity. So usually it's our own discomfort or our own certainty that leads us to do that or our own need for power and control. And the other thing I get out of his life story is that relationship with integrity comes first. And uh, 
Absalom Jones and his congregation had an amazing ability to cultivate relationships with people, including really racist people, uh, because they knew that if they didn't have those relationships, they might not be able to do what they were able to do. So sometimes when we're unhappy with somebody, we just break relationship with them, and I think Jesus is never happy with that. So Absalom Jones was born an enslaved person, and if he had been born where I grew up, this story would not have happened. Because the laws were such and the culture were such that his ability to earn his ability to first purchase his wife's freedom and then his own and purchase real estate and become uh, a property owner and build rental property, uh, and then all this would have been unimaginable. And so where he was born mattered because laws and systems and culture matters and helps people miss God's opportunity. So Absalom Jones uh, was born in 1746. He was ordained as a presbyter in the Episcopal Church in 1802 or 1804. So what if he had been ordained 20 years earlier? But he couldn't be held back by other people's limitations. Um, Absalom Jones um, asked his owner for freedom, and the owner turned him down. And Absalom Jones, Pennsylvania was the first place in the Western Hemisphere that a government passed a gradual manumission law, which they did in the middle of the Revolutionary War in 1780. But he was too old. But people around him had embraced the idea that enslavement in Pennsylvania should end. And then he was able to get uh, Quakers, who he knew from working in downtown Philadelphia, to lend him money and give him money to help finance buying his wife's freedom. And he was able to uh, make friends with another amazing leader who was able to live much longer when he became ordained, Richard Allen. And, of course, they start the first free African society, the first mutual and benevolent organization organized by and for black people in the Western Hemisphere three years after his former owner had freed him. And they started that before they started the church. And I thought, oh, they, they know they need to create institutions. And they need to create institutions that a lot of, could help a lot of different people. And then when they started the church, they started the church and they weren't sure, were they going to be Methodists or Anglicans or just what are they going to be? Uh, they're going to be a church. So when they uh, applied to be the Episcopal Church, they had three principles. They had to be received as an organized body and they had to have control over their own congregation. And they asked that he be licensed as a lay reader and if qualified, ordained. So Absalom Jones was the most qualified part of the ask, right? But Bishop William White agreed that there could be a free African congregation in the Episcopal Church. That's pretty amazing. And it took seven years for him to go from being a deacon to being a presbyter. Now, why do you think that was? 
So Absalom Jones was able to work as a presbyter for about 16 years before he died. And people said he was amazing. Uh, here's something else. I'm going to say some more critical stuff in this sermon than I would if I were preaching to you on the weekend every time. Because if I never get invited back, it doesn't matter. So here's the thing. Uh, the official biographies in the calendar for the Episcopal Church, I have done a little research because I just did this with Polly Murray, tend to tone down some of the most important, controversial, and potentially triggering part of the witness of the people that they're about. And that's true of Absalom Jones' official biography, and, uh, and it's true of Polly Murray's. So uh, I bring that up because... Uh, uh, the official biography calls him an earnest preacher. So, Troy, if somebody shook your hand at the church door and said, Troy, you're an earnest preacher, how would that feel to you? That's a backhanded compliment. So, about four years after the church is organized, on January 1st, Absalom Jones preaches an amazing sermon on the occasion of the end of the transatlantic legal slave trade in the United States. And I encourage you to all read it because it shows that he was not just an earnest preacher. He was a strategic, inspired, highly intellectually, uh, nobody's in no way held back by the irregularity of how he got himself educated and how all the hoops he'd had to jump through in life. Because his sermon shows right off the bat that he understood that the concept of race that first entered the English language in the year 1580 and only became a thing that people thought was real over about a hundred year period between 1640 and 1740, Jones's sermon shows really clearly he doesn't believe that there's any such thing as race. But he knows that all his white readers will believe there is. So he talks about God as the father of the human race and says God made of one blood all the people of the earth and that God is doing a new thing and says God came down from heaven in this act in the Constitution that led to the outlawing of the slave trade. He also talks about people being enslaved in Africa as people from different peoples and tribes. He doesn't see them as a race. He sees them as just as diverse as he saw all the other people living in Philadelphia. And he does it in this beautiful way to say God is on the side of anybody who is afflicted, cast down, held back, God has seen the affliction of God's people with an eye of pity, he says. And so Jones gives thanks, and I actually think this may be true, and I haven't had time to check it, because I knew that it was a black church thing to have a church service on January 1st. And is it because that was when the international slave trade became illegal in the United States? I don't know. But Jones Church had this service, and then they went to the expense, the church did, of having the sermon published and distributed because they wanted people to read what he had to say. That was pretty amazing for the first free 
African church in North America in 1807. And So Jones clearly is trying to deconstruct the idea of race in 1807 and clearly knows that God of the Bible is on the side of everybody who is oppressed, excluded, or whose giftedness is not validated. And it's it's a, I mean, it's long, you, you couldn't preach this sermon contemporary standards for length of sermons, but, you know, there was no TV and no internet and so forth, and people had better ears then. And he also does the Anglican thing of imploring God's blessing on behalf of his congregation on, uh, well, before he does that, he says, the first of January, the day of the abolition of the slave trade in our country should be set apart every year as a day of public thanksgiving for this mercy of God. O God of all the nations on earth, we thank thee that thou art no respecter of persons, that thou hast made of one blood all nations. And we implore your blessings, O God, upon the president and all who are in authority in the United States. Direct them by thy wisdom in all their deliberations and save thy people from calamities of war. Give peace in our day, God of peace. Grant this highly favored country may continue to afford a safe and peaceful retreat from calamities of war and slavery for ages yet to come. That's how he concludes the sermon. Who was president of the United States when he preached this sermon? Thomas Jefferson. So, when I was young and teaching history, Thomas Jefferson had demigod status. There was a distinguished professor at the University of Virginia named Dumas Malone, who was utterly sure that the, the story of Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson was made up by Federalists who were trying to win an election. And then the DNA tests happened because I had students of color who were in my classroom who claimed to be descended from Thomas Jefferson and had reddish hair. And, you know, and of course the DNA test showed they were all right. The people who'd lived in Albemarle County since then knew what they were talking about. And so now we're in a correction phase where Jefferson is seen as is partly the Hamilton influence, actually, I think, uh, is seen as more of a hypocrite and scoundrel than history in the long haul may see him as because he was the most deeply conflicted person about the institution of slavery, who was a white slave owner that I think history has ever invented. Um, But so, I don't think it was disingenuous that Absalom Jones, in print, implores the President of the United States that God is just and that the country needs to be peaceful and delivered from the calamity of slavery and delivered from war. Maybe that was a prophetic voice. Remember in 1820, Jefferson said, I tremble when I reflect that Almighty God is just. I tremble for my country. And he was talking about slavery when he was an old man. And so I I don't want to get into talking too much about Jefferson. I want to say that Jefferson's giftedness had a chance to be recognized more than Absalom Jones' was, but Absalom Jones, who lacked Jefferson's educational opportunities, power, and wealth, was Jefferson's intellectual equal and was as successful in ways he functioned as a leader as Jefferson was. 
So we suffer when we deny people's giftedness. We miss God's opportunities. I've thought about that too in terms of Richard Allen didn't join the Episcopal Church. Richard Allen helped found the AME Church. What if the bishops of the Episcopal Church, recognizing his leadership capability that was obvious, had recruited him and said, hey, we really want you to be an Episcopal clergy person, and we want to give you support, financial, of the church to reach out to people of color in North America. The whole history of the Episcopal Church would have been different, because he was a lot younger than Absalom. So what if that some of the early uh, kind of going beyond the margins, impulses in the Episcopal Church had to do with Native Americans. People became missionaries to Native Americans who were from white privileged families, uh, and it changed them. That didn't happen in the same way with people of color. So we missed an opportunity. And the other thing I want you to be aware of, before I preach too long, is uh, relationship comes first, relationship with integrity. And uh, Absalom Jones clearly had an amazing ability to be in relationship with people that he disagreed with deeply, who had a lot more power than he did without betraying his own integrity. And he didn't give up. So I want to invite you to never give up about being in relation with people because that's what the God of Jesus, the God who liberates people from oppression, is about, is when we're in a relationship, there's a chance for the other person's eyes to be opened, and there's a chance for their heart to be changed, but also there's a chance for love to work on them even in spite of themselves. And we can all tell stories of how that bore fruit sometimes decades later May it be so for us and all people. Amen.